Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Quiet on the set. Today we're talking about The Menu, the 2022 film starring Ray Fiennes, Anya Taylor-Joy, Nick Holt, and a slew of other folks. My guest is the first assistant director, Gary Golden. Gary, welcome to Below the Line. Thanks, Skin. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk about this project. It was uh, one that a lot of people really enjoyed and had no idea what they what to expect when they saw it. You know, I thought this film was criminally underappreciated. I am also looking forward to talking about this. So folks are aware, this is your first time on the podcast, but you and I have known each other since 2004. when We were both assistant directors on the first season of HBO's Entourage, and it is nice to see you again. Glad we got you on the show. Thank you. Really glad to be here. And yeah, and then I wrote out all those years on Entourage. We are going to do an Entourage episode one of these days, but today the menu will have our full attention, as it deserves. A warning for listeners, today's conversation may contain spoilers. Go see the film, come back and join us. Gary, talk to me about your previous work with director Mark Mylod and how that led up to the menu. I met Mark on season three of Entourage, and then I liked him a lot, and he was a shy British guy, just came in from... Uh, you know, from England and had some major successes there. But HBO's Entourage was his first big show here. And then season four, five, and I think six, Mark and I did every episode together. Entourage was, uh, what, 12 episodes and then we would do six together. So obviously on TV, you alternate and Mark and I did all the episodes together. We bonded creatively and socially as how we work. Uh, very attentive to cast is a priority for both of us. Very attentive to story is a priority for both of us. And very polite to everyone from extras all the way to number one on the call sheet is imperative for both of us when we're working on a set. So our minds melded on that sort of style of working, recognize what's important to both of us. And, um, you know, the creative, what's in front of the camera is important, most important. And uh, we just had a really good time working together. And Mark and I worked on Entourage together. Then Mark and I went to go do the TV show Shameless together. And then when Mark came across uh, this project, The Menu, which is produced by uh, Searchlight and Hyperobject Industries, which is uh, Adam McKay's company, which, if you know, produced uh, Winning Time, Don't Look Up with Jonah Hill and Leonardo and many other great shows. So it's a phenomenal production company to uh, work with. So what were the production details on this? Where did you film? What kind of schedule did you have? The production details on the menu were unique in a couple different ways. First, we were shooting in Savannah, Georgia, which, by the way, is a phenomenal town. Uh, don't go there. I love it. Keep away. But what we had to do there is make the exteriors not look like Savannah, Georgia. Wanted to look like the Northeast or the Northwest, in fact, and not like a small Southern town. So that was a challenge. An interesting note on the production of this is that we pretty much shot this production in chronological order. Day one, scene one, all the way through. Of course, there were some scenes here and there that were shot out of order, but mostly it takes place in one evening from 5 p.m. to, say, 3 a.m., and everything happened in chronological order. And the best way to tell that story from every aspect of props to dining to the cast being understand where they were and when they were would be to shoot it in chronological order. So, Gary, when you suggested there were some exceptions to that, I would guess it would be things like there's some fight scenes that take place away from the main dining room, for example, or some conversations. Were those shot out of order or did you break 
from the main dining room just because of schedule and go shoot those bits somewhere in chronological order as well. You know, Skid, that's a really insightful thought there because that's exactly the scene that we had to shoot out of order. Why? It's because when the main character, Anya, walks into the chef's home, it's actually a replica of the real kitchen and the real um, dining room. So because it was a replica, of course, we didn't build two of them. We had to undress it for one and dress it for the other. So again, we shot everything in the dining room. And then we were done with that. She goes off and says she's going to see the, you know, goes to the chef's home, sneaks in there. But obviously we redressed and that was shot later. That makes total sense. And you're focused on the dining room where, as we alluded earlier, You've got a ton of cast, in fact, 14 principal cast members. So let's talk about the specific challenges, the unique challenges of you all having that many folks in this limited space with these kind of scenes. Well, let's talk about the space. I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, the space, so everyone knows, was a stage that was an old airline warehouse outside of Savannah. So it was a warehouse and we built the entire restaurant, the kitchen, the restaurant, everything. So every time you see this place, you're looking out windows and you see entrances and exits, but we're really on a stage the whole time, uh, except for the obvious exteriors when they come in on a boat and when they're outside the restaurant for the night chase sequence, which we can talk about later. Well, that's good to know. So the space that you're working with, then you're taking 14 principal cast members plus background. We'll talk about that as well. But then putting all of this action into this space. 14 principal cast members a day. When Mark called me and told me that he wanted to have all the cast members there every day, I think every assistant director in this uh, who's listening here, my stomach might tense up. But there wasn't really too many shots that we could shoot without establishing the entire room and everybody needs to be at their tables. Occasionally, we were able to let the chef go, Mr. Fines, because he was in the deep aspects of the kitchen, but all the extras had to be there every day. The wait staff had to be there every day and all the principals had to be there every day. And they bought in. It's a testament to Mark as uh, ability to build an environment where everyone feels really comfortable. And it was almost like a play in that room where everyone was just playing off of each other. So that was really fun when the cast bought in. John Leguziamo was amazing. Amy Carrera was amazing. Everyone there, the whole cast was just phenomenal. Now, it's one thing to buy in, but the actual challenges of having those folks there every day, any special techniques you use, anything you did about setting it up or how your team sort of addressed the day-to-day -day concerns? In order for us to get some momentum at the beginning of the show, we did 10 hour days. So standing on that restaurant made everyone just stay there for 10 hours, essentially uh, a couple hours in makeup and then just eight hours on set nonstop, brought everyone food. But the cast loved it. They didn't want to leave. The crew loved getting home early, but it was able to just to really just pick up some momentum. So that was one interesting uh, aspect of how we started the filmmaking. Once we got a little more into the stunt aspect or the fire aspects of it, we went to 12 hour days. But the initial setup was really fun. Everyone was hyper-focused. So uh, when Mark called me, he was, uh, again, adamant that all 14 uh, principals would be on stage every day. So he asked me to work closely with him, with the principal actors. So we pretty much went from table to table as if we were hosts or maitre d's or waiters and went to keep answering questions around the table. If I couldn't answer a question, of course, Mark would come in or I would tell him, Table seven needs your attention regarding page 27 on the script and some, you know, figure out some complications there. Or he would ask me to go to another table to answer some simple questions for them. We were very involved with the cast all the time. And Mark asked me to do this 
but he also wanted to make sure that I was not heavily involved with the background. My attention needed to be with first team. So my second second, Lauren Candela came in. She and I together worked diligently with extras casting to cast this background. What we were looking for there was background that had worked in restaurants before. Now, a lot of actors work as wait staff, but a lot of actors haven't really worked as accomplished kitchen prep people that know how knife work, that know how to move around the pass, that know how to open a fridge, that know how to not get burned on a working stove. So uh, we cast the uh, local casting people in um, extras casting in Savannah and really worked hard. We had boards and boards of uh, photographs and put together a really eclectic, professional group of kitchen staff. And they had to commit, Skid, to, you know, 27 days of straight work on a stage and not, you know, this wasn't like you can call in sick here. We need you guys to be there every day. They completely committed and working closely with Mark, myself, and the amazing second second, Lauren Candela, bought in as well and really enjoyed their work. And I can give you more specifics when you're ready. Yeah, well, again, that idea of the... um what what do you what more specifics are you holding back? What do you mean, Gary? You're gonna give me more specifics. Oh, kid, I'm talking about <laughs> you know uh, the choreography of plating and bringing out those plates. And it was kitchen staff that brought out the plates all the time and how they you know at the choreograph laying the plates on the same time every single time and uh, how they walked and how they uh, held themselves it was a lot of rehearsal time that we barely were able to get in between. Uh, art director and art, this amazing set dressing department needed to dress the set and the lighting people needing to light. So we had, you know, you have two hours between eight and 10 on Tuesday and Thursday to get in there. And these people came in and worked closely with Lauren and she did an amazing job choreographing them. That's interesting. Would you work with them every day on that day's scenes or you just had to work with them in general and establish a flow that then worked with whatever you were going to end up filming? It was very specific. I think through the course pun intended, of the movie, there are five platings, five dishes served. And each one had a different uh, plate, obviously, and a diff they walked out uh, differently each time for those platings. So we rehearsed each one of those. Well, that takes us right into the food, which again is a big aspect of this film. How did that come together? Here, the food was literally a character in the movie. It had to look amazing and had to look real and also had to be edible. The food was designed by, for those foodies out there, Chef Dominique Klen, who owns uh, Atelier Klen in San Francisco. She is one of the only, I think the only female chef in America to get three Michelin stars, which is pretty incredible. She came in and helped our amazing production designer, Ethan Tobman. They worked together on designing these plates, each one. And then she worked with the local food stylist that we've all worked together with. And other local chefs, Chef John Benhase from uh, Common Thread and um, another restaurant in um, Savannah, and working with the chefs on how to make it look good on every plate and edible. I would imagine a scenario where your caterer is a little intimidated. Is there any elevation on what the caterer is able to do in, in face of what you're facing I, on I set? I think that's funny. I think uh, staring at that super fancy uh, food created by Paco Jets and uh, incredibly sharp knives and talented people spending hours on one single dish, when it was time for us to just go to lunch, we couldn't wait to just shovel anything in there. And it, was just, <laughs> it was like, great, we don't need to sit and watch this being made. Let's just eat a burger. 
which is funny because uh, in the end of the movie, as you know, it's the burger that is truly the highlight of the movie. <laughs> well, before we get there, talk to me about marshmallow outfits and chocolate hats. For those that seen seen the movie, um, the end of the movie has a dessert and dessert is s'mores. And the cast members are being turned into s'mores themselves. So there was giant graham crackers and giant marshmallows. And then everyone of the cast was dressed as a marshmallow and had chocolate poured over them and then set on fire. Amy Westcott, who's a phenomenal costume designer, designed these marshmallows that were real and melted, actually melted, designed these jackets. And I remember walking by the, um, you know, why we love this business, all of us that are on this podcast, I think, is that we love being behind the scenes. There's something that's just addictive to all of us listening here. And you and I, I know, Skid, that you just feel lucky to be behind the scenes. And every now and then you have one of those moments where you're walking by the costume office and you're like, what is that? And there's like seven ponchos, for lack of a better word, of uh, marshmallows fit to each individual cast member. And uh, it was just a lot of fun to see that design. And she also designed the meltable chocolate hats. And I can't tell you how much time between her and the prop master that they went through figuring out the right chocolate that would melt and not fall apart at the same time. And that wouldn't melt too soon, just under the heat of the set. You alluded earlier that after you finished in the main dining room, there were other scenes. You did some pickups of the actual exteriors. There's the beach in the beginning. What kind of challenges maybe came up with those scenes? And uh, and after having been on stage for so long, and honestly, the sense of accomplishment you must have felt, what was it like moving on to maybe what's more traditional filming? Well, we really did shoot scene one on day one, which was them waiting at the dock and getting, and we meet the cast one by one. And then they get on that uh, vintage boat and pull out and there's some conversation and they serve their very first bite actually on the boat. Those two days were uh, really hot. And when I say hot, like you can't believe how hot Savannah is at this time. And the humidity is just unbelievable. Now also, and I didn't know this, the tide comes in at a difference of almost 12 feet. So when you're at low tide, you're almost 12 feet down. So if you imagine the ladder on the dock to the boat would be almost even with the dock at one point, but then when it's 12 feet lower, it's almost a steep straight shot trying to climb up. So having to time that out was a, was quite a challenge working with the tides and being able to, at some points we weren't able to move the boat at all because we were too low and the boat was in the water. I mean, in the mud. Uh, so that was a challenge at the beginning. The heat is, and the bugs were always a challenge. Uh, then towards the end, some scenes that were shot out of uh, exact order, the chef brings everybody outside and says, OK, you get a four minute, I think it was a four minute head start and all the men have to run. That was shot in this incredible um, facility that used to be, for lack of a better word, a country club. Um, it had its own little uh, area to land a water plane and a big spa. And essentially that building was shot outside of was going to be a spa. I don't think the facility was ever completed, but shooting outside there, you know, that shot uh, just before they run is three or four o'clock in the morning. And then we went to another location where we actually chase them on your classic, uh, amazing grip tricks, uh, you know, with an arm uh, running through the woods and with great lighting by the phenomenal DP, Peter Deming. Can't say enough nice things about that guy, really. And when Anya goes to the chef's house, there's a fight scene there. Talk to me about how many days you had to film that, how it came together. 
that was a lot of rehearsal time uh, to get some previses with an amazing stunt team run by Monique Ganderton, I think is how I pronounce her name. She works a lot with the Marvel world and she was a real professional working closely with her stunt team to give us previses and working in the actual kitchen. Then we got to work with each actor individually, Anya and then uh, Hong Chow herself and then put them together and then worked it out on the day. And then I think we shot that over a day and a half period or maybe even just one day, the two of them really gave it all. And also the running sequence uh, was fully stunt coordinated. Every aspect of where they were tackled, all that. There were some scenes that weren't didn't get into the movie where Arturo gets into the water and tries to take off on a small skiff and is tackled in the water and dragged out of the water. Quite violent at some moments. And I think that uh, came through because the stunt coordinator was so on her game and the cast, again, bought in. You know, we've done some spoilers in the action that happened there, but even for people who haven't seen it, when I said that this movie was underappreciated, you think you're going into a eat the rich story, but I thought it was a lot more complicated than that. I'd encourage people to go see it. Gary, tell me what you kind of expected coming out of it when you're in the middle and all this effort goes in and maybe it doesn't get quite the attention that you hope. Listen, both uh, Rafe and uh, Anya were nominated for Golden Globe. I think people didn't know what to expect Personally, I had a great reward because everyone that I know that saw it loved it. And maybe they wouldn't have seen that kind of genre. I thought it got some uh, really decent attention. If you still look on, you know, HBO Max's top movies to watch, the menu is like right there at number four or five every night. People are still uh, enjoying it. You know, was it a uh, Academy nominee kind of movie? I don't know. I can't answer that. But personal satisfaction, uh, regardless of what the masses thought, uh, was huge working on that movie. And I think just enough people saw it and enjoyed that kind of uh, unique filmmaking that is really not done that much anymore. You know, it wasn't a huge studio. It was a character driven movie and a character is driven to a place that the audience just really didn't see coming. And I think people enjoy that. And, you know, I think the movie got the balance of that just right. So even if you haven't seen it, even if what we said, to, you're hearing about it for the first time, I recommend folks go check it out. Gary, on that note, we're going to call it a wrap. Really nice seeing you. Hey, bro, anytime. And when you're ready to do an Entourage podcast, we'll, we'll have some fun with that. No doubt. You know, listeners, as I remind you, I always appreciate your feedback. You'll find my contact info on our website, below the line, one word, dot biz. That's B-I-Z. You'll also find past episodes and links to all of our social media, so check it out. Gary, where can we next see your work? Coming out hopefully soon is a, I don't know if they'll keep the same name, but it's called Manhunt. It's a my first large period piece that happens to be for Apple TV about the search for John Wilkes Booth. Incredible story. It's based on the book by James L. Swanson uh, that I highly recommend you give an, at least an audio book listen to if you have any interest in history and that Lincoln assassination. Phenomenally uh, interesting. And to do that kind of major period piece with the horses and the no electricity and the no phones, no uh, big lamps, it was very cool. I didn't really say that right, but you know what I mean. <laughs> People get the idea. What else? I've, I've recently been working on uh, Outer Banks for uh, Netflix and um, a show called The Mysterious Benedict Society for Disney. If anyone has any questions, if you don't mind, you can say I'm found at, at Mr. Gary B. Goldman, at Mr. Gary, G-A-R-Y, B as in boy, Goldman, uh, on Instagram. And uh, reach out if I have time, I'll, we'll hit you back up. Love to talk to fellow filmmakers. Gary, going to watch for all of that. Uh, and I'm going to hold you to that entourage promise. We'll see you again soon. Be a pleasure. Always is. My closing credits, thanks to Curtis Fly for our music, John Juan for our logo, and all of our listeners, I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your friends. 
Thanks again from Below the Line. Skid, one more interesting note for those foodies out there is that Mark and the producers were so obsessed uh, with the food looking absolutely, for lack of a better word, insanely good. Um, we did a couple of days of reshoots in L.A. where the professionals at Chef's Table, which you see on Netflix occasionally, um, came in and shot all the food dishes that we had uh, in this really unique sort of dark environment that was able to just, we could use as uh, placeholders throughout the movie. Uh, really cool working with those people from uh, Chef's Table. Did you guys get to go to these restaurants and then actually enjoy yeah. some of this food? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, man, I was a filmmaker and a foodie and uh, a fan of great actors and Mark Mylod, who's amazing. Uh, it was just a really a great time. Like, I mean, just, you know, we would go out to Chef John Ben, ben Hayes, I think is his name, owns a restaurant in Savannah called um, Common Thread and another restaurant as well. And Common Thread was like one of my favorite restaurants of all time. The fact that we could go there almost every night and be served by the chef himself who works there. Uh, was just amazing, amazing food. And that's, <laughs> you come to a point and you're like, I don't care about diet. I don't care about, it. I'm just eating this incredible, incredible food. And but like, do you need anything else? I'm like, well, do you have any bread? And he's like, well, we don't really, um, we don't really serve bread. I was like, okay, cool. And then 10 minutes later, they come out with this. I was like, where did you get this bread? Oh, we just whipped it up. And we, just, <laughs> we just made some bread for you guys. I will come back to work for you on another one of those, Gary. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> I mean, the menu too. I mean, the fun part, you know, is that uh, the burger that they made there, like Chef John taught Rafe how to make that burger for, for a couple days, like so that Chef, that Rafe could really look like he knew what he was doing making that burger. And then we did get to try everyone. You know, they made so many burgers that everyone had a bite here and there. That was fun. And now I'm obviously obsessed with burgers. But there's a place here on, uh, in, in West Hollywood called Irv's Burgers that has a burger called the menu burger, which is called just a really good cheeseburger. Uh, and it's still on the menu there. That I'm going to check out. 